ladies and gentlemen, grab your notebooks, grab your pens and your pencils because class is officially in session once again. My name is Kevin Tony, and you're now listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. My man, Teach Him Chuck is back. Chuck, what's up, man? What's happening, Bill? What's happening? Good to have you back, man. I appreciate you coming back in. I'm glad, man. I I love doing your show, too, because, you know, it's... uh, you know, it's all audio, so I didn't have to worry about you know making sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. I at least put a you know at least I look decent. You know, yeah. I'm over here. Oh uh, yeah, raggedy raggedy t-shirt. You know, yeah. just, <laughs> just chilling, chilling, yes, bumping sir. around the house, man, <laughs> enjoying my Saturday. But uh, everything is well, man. It's all it's all good. Good man. Um, so I I I wanted to this this is the the last show of 2023. So you closing out the year and I thought it was appropriate. Oh uh, man. Pressure. Yeah, man. Yes, sir. I, I thought it was appropriate to bring you back uh, because right. it's, it's, it's actually what the people wanted because, you know, I was um, looking at my analytics for the year and the episode that we did earlier this year had the most, views the most downloads the most replays and the most shares and i'm like wow everybody loved this episode with chuck man so we gotta run it back so uh yeah man so i'm glad to have you back uh and and i got a couple things that i want to get your um i want to get your feedback on in the didactic manner that only you can bring it Hmm. bring it to uh to light so i'm a i'm gonna start with this I listened to, um, you know who Patrick Bet David is? Yes. Okay. So over the last six months, uh, his podcast, the PVD podcast, has become one of my favorite uh, shows to listen to. Mm-hmm. You know, for for a lot of reasons, I'm sure you can you can understand. And he did a show about a month ago, where he had a panel of guests on, and and the show was about the the parts of detransitioning um, that they don't talk about where, you know, these people in the trans community, you know, they go through the, uh, the procedures to change their gender. uh, And then they find out on the back end that the results were not anywhere close to what they thought they were going to be. Right. One thing I glean, excuse me. One thing I gleaned from that, from that podcast the most was one of the one of the panel members he talked he had a he had an attorney from Los Angeles uh or from uh San Francisco uh this young lady whose daughter uh went through the whole transition process then he had another young lady and another young man who were telling their story about them actually going through the process but the attorney said something that really kind of hit me and she talked about how Uh, She said, you know, she went through the whole thing in California, how her parental rights, you know, had been pretty much taken from her uh, in terms of, you know, the interactions with her daughter. And she said, I was sick of seeing what was happening. And she said, I've been a lifelong Democrat for 37 years. And she said, I'll be voting Republican for the first time in the 2024 election. 
She said, because I'm sick of these these laws that are passing. She said, I'm I'm sick of this. You know, I'm she said, I'm just tired. I'm tired of all of it. And mm -hmm. she said, I have a coalition of about 80 parents that have joined with me. We're all lifelong Democrats. And she said, all of us are voting Republic in the 2024 election because we want to stop this stuff that's happening to our kids, you know, this interference within our families, you know, so on and so forth. She ran down the list and that got me to thinking. And I want your take on this because it started me to thinking about how this lady and, uh, and all her, her cohort of friends, they've been lifelong supporters of the Democratic Party, but they're willing to change their vote because they want to see results the other way. And I started thinking about how Black people will watch abortion clinics go up in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll watch, you know, uh, Democrats use, you know, uh, emotional tactics to kind of keep them in line. And they, they kind of, they, they prey on the emotions of black people, you know, and black people in our community, we see stuff that's not going, you know, the way we want it. We'll complain, we'll voice our complaints, but we won't change our vote in order to really send a message and get, and get the results that we want. And <clears throat> it, it blew my mind to hear it in that context, because I know that that's how our people are. And, and, you know, we, by and large, you, you know, the data that we overwhelmingly are the only ethnic group that vote the same in every election cycle. So right. hearing that, like what, what, what comes to your mind when I, when I can share with you what that, that attorney had to say. Right. Uh, this is a woman, right? She was it's saying, a female, yes. Now, yes. Now, did she did she say that she says she she has about eighty? Did she say people just male 80, and yep, female, 80, or was it eighty? 80 women? Yeah, she, she said eighty parents, but I think from what I gather from her, the majority of them are they're they're ladies who are tired of seeing their rights taken away where their children are concerned. Right. Well, first thing that comes to mind for me, you know, when you say sounds to me like you're saying, why is it that you know blacks. I mean, this has been going on for uh, decades, right? And it's mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, why, why, why do they seem to be so stubborn? Why won't they change their voting patterns? And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, in spite of the uh, you know party that you support in general or the individual politician that you back. Um, Blacks just, quite frank, and, and this is a problem in America as a whole. Many Americans, and black, Blacks especially, they uh, they do not know uh, how the system works. They know very little about just the entire civic process, right? The basic mm -hmm. functions of our government and what the, you know, three branches of government uh, were created in order, you know, created to do and so on. But more importantly, because when you start talking about politics and, you know, political parties and individual politicians, uh, I think that you have to start uh, somewhere else in order to, you know, uh, get a full uh, understanding of a lot of things that I uh, just mentioned. Uh, and 
what I mean is that many of folk, once again, blacks especially, mm-hmm. uh, they they lack in terms of their understanding in the way of the liberal arts. And, and then the reason why I say that, and when you say, well, why do they, why haven't they changed the way mm-hmm. they vote? Notice how uh, even now when it comes to folks claiming that, you know, blacks, you know, you see these black celebrities, especially, I think just recently I saw some, now that you mentioned it this morning, where Charlemagne the God yeah, I saw that. put out yeah. a statement saying that, you know, uh, it would be wonderful if Joe Biden stepped down, you know, and mm-hmm. gave us all an early Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you have some conservative outlets to celebrate this sort of thing. And they say, well, you know, you have someone who is a pillar of the black community, quote unquote, a voice that, you know, has a lot of influence and sway and someone that I guess presumably black folks listen to. And he's criticizing Joe Biden and to many of folk who vote Republican or who consider themselves to be conservatives to them, that is a win. Mm -hmm. But notice how they only like Republican politicians. Let's just say, for example, a Donald Trump. And you got this certain rappers and I know what you call it. uh, What's her name? Sexy Red, she said yeah. something to me about, you know, I, I mess with Trump and then this this rapper, that rapper, this entertainer and so on. And notice how the, the only reason why they like Donald Trump is they like Donald Trump, some of them now, like him or, or see him as the so-called lesser of two evils uh, or what appeals uh, in their minds, what is appealing about Donald Trump is when he uh, sort of appeals to their big government sensibilities. Mm-hmm. You always hear this talk about, you know, well, Donald Trump was giving out money. Donald Trump was giving out che- checks. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. You know, Donald Trump is cool. Or Donald Trump is this and he's that. And of course, seeing as how uh, blacks uh, unilaterally see themselves as this group that has been sort of put upon uh, you know, once uh, Donald Trump was seen, because, you know, when you have this uh, like Marxian worldview that a lot of blacks have, uh, their uh, aversion to Trump, I say, I think in the beginning mm-hmm. had a lot to do with the fact that he represented everything that uh, they uh, that they hated in terms of just being white, being male being wealthy and being influential and all these sorts of things. And it's because that he has power from their point of view uh, that makes him inherently corrupt, that makes him inherently uh, sort of evil. Uh, And that to me, therein lies the problem because it isn't so much that blacks uh, just, you know, why, why aren't they fed up with Democrat policies? The reason why, you know, they, they don't rebel against, you know, uh, liberal policies, you know, sort of uh, carried out uh, mm-hmm. by Democrat politicians is because as long as Democrat politicians can make them believe or put them under the impression that the reason why uh, their lives aren't um, that that they that their 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 living standards or whatever the case may be are not as they wish them to be has everything to do with the obstructionists on the other side of the aisle and the mm-hmm. obstructionists on the other side of the aisle of course are motivated uh, by bigotry and hatred towards blacks so what that means is 
our policies, our, you know, Democrat Party policies will work as long as they are allowed to work. Without yeah. the, and then when you, you say to yourself, well, then wait a minute. But when you look at government on a local level, right, especially uh, there isn't a Republican in sight. Right. right? Yeah. And say, well, what's really going on? But that goes all the way back full circle to the fact that many of blacks only see government as mattering, mattering when it comes to the folk that they see on television or the folks they see on. And so it only matters to them who the president president is. Yeah. You know, it may only yeah. matter, you know, who sits on the Supreme Court or maybe they may know a senator or two here or there or whatever the case. But black folks just they quite frankly they just don't know enough. I'm, I'll give you an I'll give you an example, and I'll pass it back to you. I know you probably yeah, got go ahead. No, go ahead. Real question. I was in a barber shop uh, not too long ago, and I think I, I think I may have told some other folks the story, but anyway, I walk in the barber shop, and my barber, you know, he knows, you know, he he's familiar with my my politics, and so I come into the barber shop, and there was a guy who was sitting there, and I guess I had walked in the middle middle of a conversation that was happening about politics. And my barber says, yo, there go my boy Chuck right there. That's the guy you need to talk to because he votes Republican, right? And then my man said, all right, cool, man, have a seat. Bro, I need to holler at you about something. I, I want to talk to you about this because this this really been on my heart. I said, okay, bro, what's going on? What y'all talking about? He said, well, man, I'm really thinking about, and I think this was before 2020, I think. Mm -hmm. He said, man, I'm really thinking about voting Republican, or he may even say thinking about vote for Trump. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, I think I'm thinking about voting Republican because man, these Democrats, they ain't did none of what they promised. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, let me I said, see, when it comes to the issue of politics, when you ask a lot of blacks or when you listen to their complaints, they're not asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. Because when you start pointing out, because it's not so much that I want to carry water for Republicans simply because that's just what I want to do. No, no, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. I'm simply arguing this whole Republican Democrat, this whole paradigm, uh, uh, according to the rules that have been laid out by blacks who complain about this, that and the third, because a lot of times they make everything about race. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you start to point out their hypocrisy where they can no longer defend their stance, then they want to make it about the system as a whole. But that's not what you said initially. You made it seem as though this was a uh, uh, this was exclusively a sort of Republican thing, especially mm -hmm. when you listen to the words of their leadership. And when I say their leadership, I'm talking about their uh uh, they're 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 um they're entertainers. Yep. The politicians that claim that they speak for them, the academics that claim that they speak for them, it is clear uh, where their bias uh, lies, uh, because it's 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 sort of all throughout, right? They're you know everything that they have to say, like I say, movies, film, television, what have you. It seems as though republicans and quote unquote conservatives are always the target of uh you know their uh their vitriol their their bile mm -hmm. and so it the, the the pendulum sort of never seems to sort of swing uh in the opposite uh direction and so going back to this interaction i had with this guy 
I stopped him there because when because when you start asking, and this is why I, why I brought that up in in terms of just you 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 don't see this sort of critical uh, uh, analysis when it comes to. Uh, those that they are in in favor of, you know, and when mm-hmm. I say those talking Democrats, you don't see this. And I'm like, you know, people say, well, well, that's that's the Republican. It's it's their fault because when is the last time that they have ever tried to appeal mm-hmm. to the so-called black vote? Well, first and foremost, why in the world? Because time is limited, resources are limited. Money is limited, etc. How can I go before a group of people, potential voters, and try to sell them on something that they don't want? Because in order for me to get your support, I have to be, I have to to stress and impress upon you that I can do what it is that you want me to do for you as your representative, if you are willing to employ me, if you are willing to give me the job. Right. But what if as a conservative politician that I am coming before you with an idea that you cannot get on board with because you don't see that thing working out in in your benefit, working out, you know, uh, for what is in the best interest of you? Because once again, you do not know how life mm-hmm. works. You do not know how economies are, 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 are built, how they thrive, how they survive, how they flourish, what keeps communities safe and what keeps families <laughs> together and all these things. You simply do not know. Right. So why am I going to waste my time? Because you're not going to support me anyway, because the problem is not me and my messaging. The problem is not the fact that Republicans don't pay black people attention. The problem is the black community itself, because it gets what it wants. Right. And I told that man, I said, it's not so much that Democrats have haven't kept their promises. Democrats have kept their promises. You just weren't prepared for what it is that they gave you because you were completely unaware of the results that would come about by way of the policies that they implemented that you yourself have supported. It's on you. (laughs) <laughs> exactly what you've asked for. You just didn't know that it was going to turn out this way because, again, you are working from a premise uh, that is fundamentally flawed because you don't see you don't see the world in the correct way. Yeah. You don't see the world in the correct way. That's, so, that's yeah, that's deep. <laughs> so that's black. Deep. So, so, yeah. So blacks, they aren't they aren't going to or, or walk away because the, the issue is more so again about core values, your sense of morality, your sense of right and wrong, you know, and all of these things center around ideas, you know, because ideas, you know, have uh, have consequences. They have political consequences, and you know, they have consequences in many different ways. And so, again, the the problem, excuse me, the problem starts long before you know someone enters the uh, voting booth. It. Uh, it, it it begins a lot sooner. That's true. That's true. And and when you said that, I I, I came back to mind. Um, you know, when when you talked about how black people only focus on, you know, what they see on TV and how they can you know connect the dots between the politicians that they see on TV, which are the president. You know, I, I've heard stories. I know people that they go into the, the voting booth on election day. <laughs> 
they skip every name on the ballot and go straight to president and vice president and vote and cast their ballot and leave, not knowing, you know, not realizing <laughs> the local politicians that are on the ballot that are going to affect them, that they're going to feel the effects of the local politicians first before we get to the federal stuff. And I, I had this guy that's been on the podcast. He's a friend of the show. His name is Malik Abdul. And uh, real smart brother, very, you know, polished. Uh, I love his commentary, his take on on politics, especially where black people are concerned. And when I had him on the show, he told me his story about how he stopped voting and supporting the Democratic Party. And this was a guy that was not only was he a Obama, a super Obama supporter. He was uh, he he was on the um, he was a grassroots campaigner. He said I was at. He said, I, I, I was a part of the team that was helping um, Obama campaign. He said we were in that meeting where there was a um, there was a there was a election issue that Hillary was trying to challenge Obama on. And it was a period you remember where there was kind of some contention between the two of them on who was going to get the nominee. Mm -hmm. And he said, I was at that meeting. He said it was in Virginia. And he's like, man, he said, people won't believe how ugly it got in that room between Democrats and Republicans. I mean, uh, between Democrats. Democrats, you know, just, Democrats yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um, so he was he said all of that to qualify his relationship and how he supported the Democratic Party. But he said living in D.C. is what changed his mind about voting uh, re uh, Republican. And he said, it wasn't until I was walking around my neighborhood and I was looking at infrastructure in my in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And he said, I started to realize, like, these are things that local government are supposed to be fixing and they're not doing it. And right. he said, so that's when the light kind of switched on for him, where he started putting a microscope on his local politicians there in the city. And he said, these are all Democrats that have promised all of these things to our mm -hmm. community. They're not delivering it. Maybe I need to start looking the other way to see, you know, if these other politicians will do any better. And mm -hmm. he's the only person or he's at least the only person that I've had a conversation with that had that type of epiphany in terms of changing the way that they viewed, you know, politics and, you know, civics in their in their community. Uh, to say, wait a minute, I need to be looking at this differently because I'm not getting what I've been asking for or I'm not getting what I've been promised. And and to your point, every mm -hmm. election cycle that comes out, you know, whether it's um, uh, and these and these same people who go into into the ballot box and only vote on the president, they don't do any midterm elections. They skip them entirely because, like you said, you know, these the president is what is what registers in their mind. And that's that's kind of crazy when you think about it, how, you know, the mindset is so attached to celebrityism and what we see on television uh, that we don't think about the smaller things that are going to direct us more directly, affect us directly, where we don't consider who these mayoral candidates are in our cities, who's on city council, you know, who's on the school board. These are the things that you know, what kind of bonds are, are on the ballot that are going to make my taxes go up next year? You know, they don't consider these things. But when that stuff starts to come down the pike, they want to complain that things are not right. And mm -hmm. it's it's it just it really I just kind of was like, 
wanted to kind of take a peek into the psyche of our community to say, to go back to my initial story, this lady said, I'm not so affiliated to the Democratic Party that I can't flip and change because I want different results. I'm not I'm willing to withhold my vote and give it to the other guy because they're not doing what I want. And black people just will not do it. And I'm getting ready. To, I'm getting ready to throw a name out mm-hmm. for somebody that we both know. OK. Mm-hmm. A young lady uh, that that we know, she comes into the um, she comes into the, the cutting through the culture chats you know, she supports everything the crew does. And, and she and I have kind of connected as a part of that family of people that that keep up with with the work that you guys are doing. And um, she goes by on uh, on Instagram. Her Instagram name is Real Talk Nikki. And okay. she she hit me up one day in uh, in the DMs and she said, hey, I see that you follow this guy on Instagram. I see that he follows you. She said they asked me to go live with them. Do you know anything about it? She's talking about Mitch and Johnny Marbles. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> I told her, I told her, I said, sis, I said, don't waste your time. I said, please, please don't right. waste your time. You know? So I told her, I said, I made the mistake of going live with them. And I, it was the biggest regret. I, I didn't glean <laughs> anything from it. And, right. you know, they baited me and they got me in there and I learned a lesson. I said, I'm trying to save you. And she said, well, no, nah, you know, I, I want to find out what's going on, you know, so she wanted to she she wanted to go in there. And I said, OK, so I told her, I said, here's what I'll do. I said, you're going you think you're going live with Mitch. I said, but you're going to be in there with their goons in the chat that are going to be coming for you, too. I said, so what I'll do is if I know when you're going to be live, I'll come in and try to give you some ground support or whatever. So she went live with them. And they had her in there. And Mitch did what he does to everybody, man. He just, he's very passive aggressive. He, you know, just matter of factly speaking, you could tell he just, you know, all these circular arguments. And I'm <laughs> listening to her and I'm telling her, like, I'm putting in the comments, like, like, sis, you need to just get out of this. Like, you need to. And so right. at one point in the conversation, like in grand fashion, they they got a script that they follow. Mitch brings up reparations and he wants to know what you think about reparations. And so the conversation goes where she says, she says, well, why do you keep voting Democrat? Like she just asked him straight up. Mm-hmm. And, and his response to her was, well, because I believe that if we if black people are going to get reparations, it's going to come from Democrats. So I'm going to keep voting for them because I think they're going to give it to us. Mm-hmm. And to me, what I, what I took from that is Mitch exposed really how ignorant he is in that statement. And <laughs> to me, it just says, well, dog, you just said that your vote is for sale because if Republicans come out tomorrow and say that we're going to give black people reparations, you're going to flip and vote Republican or either, even, or even worse than that. You're willing to uh, stick with a party that will that knows you're willing to keep kicking the can down the road. All they have to do is keep telling you we working on a plan for reparations and it Mm -hmm. never comes to fruition. So to me, it just kind of stuck to that psyche of these black people that are so just this love affair with the Democratic Party that has just been passed down. It's almost like. 
you know, in the in the birth canal, these these black people get it. <laughs> it's like how how did you come so ingrained to that? So you know what yeah, I mean. Well, yeah, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, man. Tell me what you think. <laughs> well, you know, it's like this is a lot of history, you know, involved with that whole deal. Um, you know, blacks. Um, you know, pretty much became you know, uh, slaves to uh, the Democrat Party, um, you know, back in the uh, 1930, was it in the 1930s? And, you know, uh, FDR was, um, you know, he was very popular. He was, you know, um, of course, he was the only or the first president to, uh, you know, buck the um, tradition that was, uh, you know, put forth by our first president, George Washington. And, uh, you know, he ran for a third term and, and, and won, uh, you know, without getting too deep into, too far into the weeds, you know, because there was a lot going on in early 20th century America as far as the uh, increase in the uh, influence of uh progressives and when i say progressives of course i'm you know i'm talking about um you know intellectuals and, and politicians and so on and uh you know like i said it was a, it was just a, a totally uh, different time a lot of folks were afraid and um, and, and you know you it, it doesn't take a genius i mean i know i'm preaching to the choir you know when we talk about how of course, in times of, you know, great crises, people will uh, surrender their freedoms in exchange for security and for protection. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what, uh, you know, a man in, in FDR and all of his, you know, his his brain trust and the public uh, at large that supported him. This was their I mean, this was their man. And, you know, he mm -hmm. was the one that was promising that he could give them those things. Uh, when in fact that, you know, uh, the stock market dip that took place in 1929 uh, was just that, again, without getting too much into the history, it was just sort of like this natural uh, sort of a, a nadar moment mm -hmm. in the economy. And of course, it would have came back on its own devices uh, had the uh, free market been left up to its own devices. But the... Right recovery of the economy was uh, slowed down massively, first and foremost, not by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, but by his predecessor, uh, Herbert Hoover. Mm -hmm. uh, even FDR himself would admit that he was nothing more than a, of course, you know, Hoover was a registered Republican, uh, but of course he was one of the more, and, and again, you know, Hoover was a disaster. He was. Uh, F yeah. F F FDR isn't seen so much, you know, and he isn't seen as, um, you know, this as a disaster, as a presidential disaster, as much as someone like a Hoover, of course, because, you know, FDR is this great, uh, you know, Democrat champion. Mm -hmm. uh, because, of course, you know, he did more to transform the federal government than probably any other president in American history. And so I bring all of this up because a lot of folk were sort of buying it too. And, you know, that's what I point I wanted to make. I don't know if I finished my sentence, yeah. but FDR said that he was a continuation of, of Hoover. 
and the economy uh, dragged on and, you know, that economic recession became a depression thanks to the uh, over-involvement of the uh, federal government in the workings of the private sector. Mm-hmm. And I bring all of that up because Blacks, when it comes to their allegiance to the Democrat Party, Blacks see the sort of the the, the praxis or the, the centerpiece of society at the point of the state because what Blacks don't realize, and you know, by and large, and the people who think this way, regardless of race, don't seem to realize, is that, or, or what, or what they believe, is that people, by and large, cannot be trusted because people, if if you put it put it, I put it to you like this. When it comes to issues of race, and to go back to them fools we were just talking about, you were just talking about, mm-hmm. you know, bitch yeah. and the whole the whole crowd, right? Right. <laughs> right. They will say, maybe without saying, or maybe they'll just flat out say it, that people, and let's just be frank, we're talking white people, for example, right? Right. Cannot be left to their own devices because considering the fact that they are the demographic majority, they will find a way to exclude blacks, right? For their own benefit. Mm-hmm. If the state does not come in and regulate their behavior so as to prevent them from being racist. Mm-hmm. So their so their history of the situation is completely turned upside down because in fact the opposite was true. Because right. when the market was allowed to function naturally, human beings tend to overcome their prejudice for the purpose of their own personal growth and development, mm-hmm. meaning that human beings interact with human beings who can do something for them. Right. And so when it came to the era of, say, for example, the Jim Crow South or wherever we think that there was all this great discrimination in the United States prior to the 1960s, there were both blacks and whites that were sick and tired of government overreach because the source of this sort of the source of societal racism did not come from the citizenry it came from the government see they believe that human being this is the irony Mm -hmm. that human beings white people in particular are just inherently racist and they're going to be so unless the government keeps them in check. But at the same time, these very same racist individuals, and it's it's, it's completely mind-boggling to me, that they don't think that these people will express or indulge in their racist predilections when elected to public office. So the private sector can't function on its own But these very same white folk that you think are inherently racist, you, in fact, trust to create policies, right, Mm -hmm. that will 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 uh, function, you know, in a way that benefits you in the short 
and long term. It's completely mind boggling to me. So yeah. what they mean in so many words is that in their mind, they place the importance, they, they place the state above the individual. All of the talk about race and reparations and this, that, and the third is completely irrelevant to the conversation because at the core, what these people mean, all of these race hucklers and race hucksters, what they mean ultimately or what they stand for when it comes to government, and it goes back full circle when we start talking about the difference between Democrats and Republicans, and mind you, not trying to be a special Peter for Republicans, because no matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're in a position of elected, you know, if you're an elected official, if that is your duty, if that is your job, regardless if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you are going to act in a way that increases the power of government because by increasing the power and influence of government, right, you enrich yourself in many different ways because this is the area in which you operate. This is where you mm -hmm. function. Yeah. And so it takes a great deal of principle and integrity for someone to use the position and the power and influence that they have as a politician to say, I'm going to go into that particular institution and sacrifice myself so that the people can have what it is that our framers or live the kind of lives that our framers intended them to have mm -hmm. by sort of blowing up the institution from within. So to go to government, to disempower the government is something that not even many of folk who walk around with an R next to their names are willing to do. Right. Because that takes a great deal of integrity. It takes a great deal of principle. And you have to be willing to sacrifice because that is the role of the politician is to make sure that he or she keeps the government in check. That's why, once again, having an understanding of human beings, having an understanding of human nature, because ultimately, and again, when we start talking about society as it is, again, you have to deal with reality as it exists. You mm -hmm. cannot, because in the minds of people like Mitch, what they what 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 is of greater consequence to them is a future that doesn't exist as opposed to the here and now that is concrete. Mind you, this future that they talk about doesn't exist and has never existed, but they are willing to sacrifice any and everything because the dream, the mm -hmm. potential that is there is just so alluring that they're willing to sacrifice all manner of principle if it means that if it means having that thing that we haven't obtained yet so there is no lie that they that they will that they won't tell there's no lie too right. big not to tell there is no crime too too heinous that they won't commit because everything is worth it if you're talking about creating this great future right and so yeah. The government can, I mean, the government can get you to 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 do it's it's just so many different things that we can talk about, Kev, because right. these people when blacks, the blacks don't even understand the inherent connection between freedom 
and property rights. Yeah. So when you start talking about reparations and all these kinds of things, that's what you're getting into. You're mm-hmm. simply getting into a person having the ability to dictate or to disrupt process and means so as to create a society in line with their own particular social vision. They don't matter. They don't care about what it is you want, how you feel as though one should go about acquiring the kinds of things that, you know, make for a life that is worth living. They care not. Yep. The only thing they care about, bro, is their own particular fit. And if they have to make you do something against your will, then that is what they are willing to do as long as they have the power to do so. Yeah. Blacks are simply saying that. We just want, mind you, they, if they, and that's why they enter the whole with representation and we mm-hmm. need a black person to do the black person to do that, so on and so Because in their minds, if you are an elected representative, it's not so much the corrupting influence of government itself, which is what, you know, all freedom-loving peoples should understand. Is not so much the corrupting influence of government. It's the fact that in their minds, the right people haven't been elected yet because the corrupting power of government can be used to do good as, of course, as they see it. Uh, because the problem, once again, is not not the uh, inherent sort of nature of politics in general. Yeah. It's the fact that too many evil, racist white people have been the ones in control. Give mm-hmm. me that kind of control, and I am the one who will, in fact, be uncorruptible. Yep. <laughs> yes. And that's just not true. That's not yeah. the way life works. That's not the way it works. You want, you know, but again, when you start saying that, well, we, we you know, we don't want government overreach. We don't want you know, involvement from this and that. And in their mind, well, pretty much you're just leading black folks like lambs to the slaughter. Yep. You know, minority, what, what are they supposed to do? Whites make up 60, 65% of the general population. They'll eat us alive. Right. But mind you, I mean, you know, um, <laughs> again, it's, 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 it's a lot more uh, complexity than, uh, uh, then we then we then we commonly uh, associate with this whole thing of you know race relations and and politics and and everything else. Um, and this is what this is why these people ultimately um, you know this is why they they support uh, Democrats and they continue to support Democrats because blacks they don't they really don't know and I know I'm being long winded maybe I know oh, I'm not Go too being too all over the place here but. Black folks, essentially, they do not understand. They don't know what freedom is. Mm-hmm. They don't know what freedom means. They don't know what it means. They think they have this very, and mind you, you know, the great thinkers of, you know, we're talking from, um, you know, from from William Godwin and, and John Rawls all the way down to uh, Marquis Condorcet, the Condorcet, uh, you know, versus say thinkers like a Milton Friedman or an Adam Smith or an Edmund Burke. Um, blacks, by and large, they think that it is to the extent that as human beings, 
if we are not able or we don't see a perfect symmetrical parity in terms of life outcomes, then there, uh, then there is no freedom because when you leave uh, human beings uh, to their own devices, then they will, uh, by nature, uh, organize themselves in ways that are completely equitable. And that begins from one's or, or that particular take on things um, is, I mean, you, you can you can look to someone's fundamental worldview to try and get an understanding as to why they think uh, that will that that would in fact be the case. Right. See, when, when, when you have inequity or when you have inequality in their minds, that is proof positive of a system that is inherently corrupt because it is the institutions created by the powerful, the elite. Mind you, they never tell you at what point in history did this secretive elite just take control of everything. Right. But set that aside for a second. Of course, it is this Marxian worldview that institutions exist such as they do only to assist in protecting uh, uh, the powerful uh, from those who have no power, right? Mm -hmm. And so in, in their minds, it is the institutions that corrupts man. If you remove the institutions or change them in such a way to where you uh, can uh, allow man's nature to just shine, so to speak, then you will in fact see how good humanity is. Yeah. And yeah. that is that is just that is just ridiculous. Just it's a crazy, asinine way of looking at the world, because mm -hmm. human human beings do have. Uh, I mean, we as human beings, we have the capacity for great good, but we have we also have the capacity for great evil. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, you're black or white, you're this or that. It doesn't matter. You know, but that's the way they see things in their mind, and so. Because there is so much inequality that the only way that freedom actually matters, the only way that we can assure that freedom exists or that America is really fulfilling its promises and this and that is if we can do away with those certain aspects of life that we find displeasing or else what is it what is it all for? What does it matter mm -hmm. anyway? If they're still going to be suffering, then what are we talking about? Because freedom should mean that I should have the freedom to do what I want. The freedom means I should be able to be the free to free to have sex with whatever I want, free mm -hmm. to marry whoever I want, free to if I want to go to a department store and 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 buy expensive clothes or go to a, a, a car dealership, a car lot, and buy whatever car I want and go outside without being hassled by police or to go outside and not have you know my my neighbors or whatever who may be of a different ethnic stripe. I want to be able to go outside and not having them look at me funny or assume that I'm going to rob them because I'm black or this and this and that. I, and so in their minds, freedom means a world without suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's just not reality. Yeah, it's because not that, reality. That's not what freedom is. Freedom, in fact, is quite the opposite. Freedom is, 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 is the joy, the joy of suffering mm -hmm. because suffering uh, is a uh, suffering is a gift 
Yeah. And I, I, I don't mean to get too, you know, but and yeah. I guess I'll just sort of uh, uh, leave it uh, right there. But, you know, the, the whole thing is just, you know, I, you know, I'd much rather if, if you look at, uh, and I, I, you know, again, I don't want to make it uh, too, you know, I don't say I don't want to make it theological or whatever, but uh, look Go at ahead. it this way. You know, look at it this way, you know. Um, you know, yeah. I, it's funny, man. I I, I was listening to uh, I was listening to Dennis Dennis Prager say something mm -hmm. one time. He he was reflecting on he had a dog or whatever that just Otto. recently passed away. Auto, yeah. yep, everybody yeah. knows Auto, right? Auto just mm -hmm. you know, passed away. He, he got himself a new little bulldog, or whatever. But yeah, everybody knows Auto who follows Dennis Prager. And Dennis Prager, you know, he says something. He talked about his dog and, you know, loving his dog or whatever. And he said that, you know, it's, he said, you know, the death of Otto sort of taught him something. As he said, he asked himself, why would anyone own a pet? Especially, I mean, a dog. Mm -hmm. You know, we know how close people get with their dogs or whatever, right? And we know dogs have short lifespans. Right. You know, if you own a dog, especially you own them, you, you, you know, you're fairly young. You're going to outlive your dog. And he said, you know, why would anyone attach themselves to a dog knowing that they're going to bury it one day? Why would you even do, why would someone do that? And he said, you know, I realized that it's, it's, it's simple. He said, because even though you are going to go through the pain of that loss, people would much rather feel the pain so long as they can feel something. Yeah. Because you just want to live. Yeah. Man. You, don't, you, don't, you don't want to live a life that is just devoid of suffering and pain and, and anguish. You don't want everything put up on a silver platter for mm -hmm. you and to be sort of trapped. You know, back when I was, um, you know, getting, I was kind of into the whole, you know, black consciousness kind of thing. And you right. know, I was all into you know, by uh, Bobby Hemmett and Phil Valentine and all yeah. these guys. And um, I remember listening to uh, Phil Valentine say something one time. He said, uh, he talked about how, how uh, you know, in the beginning, um, you know, when it came to, say, like the, the Garden of Eden, right, he talked about. And he said that um, Perfection is what Phil Valentine would always say. He would say perfection is death. And what he meant is he said that what does one do when one is perfect? Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of sit there. And of course, you know, he was kind of speaking in, in a way that was meant to, you know, undermine, you know, your kind of typical monotheistic uh, conception of what we call right. God. But, you know, in his kind of screed against, you know, Christianity, you know, Judaism, Islam, whatever, uh, he made a point. He talked about how, you know, the the rebellion against God was man's attempt to escape the banality of perfection. But once you escape perfection and you get to know polarity, good and evil, light and dark, and this and that, and now when you're put into the throes of that, now, then all of a sudden, 
you become, I guess, sort of uh, uh, bogged down by, you know, uh, the vibratory illusions of matter, as he would yeah. put it, right? And so you must be at some point saved uh, from your imperfection. So you rebel against perfection only to be saved from your imperfection. But here's the whole thing. And then bring it back to Dennis Prager and what he talked about. Because I think, I don't even know if Dennis Prager even used the Adam and Eve analogy to sort of make this point. But it's sort of like to say, you know, if you tell a person, hey, you have everything laid out for you, but you don't have to do anything. Just sit here and I mean, just be perfect. You say, nah, you know what? I would rather rebel against perfection if it meant being free, because I would much rather run the risk of suffering and running into something tragedy, tragic, just so long as I can experience what it's like to live and to actually be free. Now, I of course, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. getting to a bunch of Luciferian stuff telling people, I just do what you want. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But I'm simply saying just to, because, of course, you know, full disclosure, you know, I am, I am a Christian. Right. I believe that, you know, man's fall from grace and the whole nine yards, we all know what, you know. Right fundamental right teachings of Christianity is. But to go back to the whole concept of freedom, this is what people get misconstrued because no matter who you are, no matter what ethnic group you belong to, sexual orientation, whatever the case may be, life is hard. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're going to suffer at some point. Uh, and, you know, most folk don't, don't realize they think that, you know, uh, freedom is, is, is fairness and freedom should mean that I, uh, can avoid and evade, you know, certain pitfalls, certain pitfalls of life. And that's just not the way it works. And this is why the whole term, you know, uh, and I think this is where, uh, liberalism, classical liberalism, and I talk about, you know, the liberalism of John Locke and David Hume and Emmanuel Kant and these, and you know, Adam Smith and, and the rest. This is where the kind of this kind of humanism, this, you know, or where the whole classical liberal tradition kind of dovetailed into secular humanism, which is uh, sort of like where we find ourselves now. I, I talk about I think it was the uh, great uh, Catholic priest, priest, the Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who once said that uh, what we had uh, with the first world world war was the example of sort of like when the coming forth of Jesus, as far as the Christian ethos is concerned, when it talks about the word being made flesh, I mean, that's the book right. of John, he said that what happened in the 20th century was secularism made flesh because mm. that is when we saw the dawn of, of course, communism, fascism, and Nazism. Those were that it was the, 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 the unfulfilled promises of liberalism that brought forth those wicked and evil uh, ideologies. Right? Yes. And so because what ended up happening was I think that man and I all I say that liberalism is a or 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 you know reason because this is how they like to fashion it I think that you know reason or or humanism liberalism whatever you want to call it those concepts and all of its various forms borrowed on 
on on on certain themes that was uh, uh, revealed uh, to mankind uh, by way of the uh, the religious tradition. Uh, mm-hmm. because the, the principles that undergird Western civilization are uh, principles that were bestowed upon it uh, vis-a-vis the contributions of religious thought. What you had when it when it comes, what you have now when it comes to the liberal tradition is what I say, and this is a term that I just kind of came up with, liberalism is a betrayal of its master because you 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 can have faith without uh, reason, but you cannot have reason without faith. A world without faith creates a world of, I guess, uh, exclusively a world of of reason, which creates tyranny. Mm -hmm. And of course, a world with faith and no reason creates a world of fanaticism. So one sort of needs the other, one feeds off the other. But the problem is that the the, the secular world betrayed its master in that it, it, in its own hubris, it at a certain point began to believe that it no longer needed the faith tradition in order to ground itself right and in, uh, in reality uh and this is sort of like uh you know uh, uh, where we find ourselves where people instead of saying you know the the, the term liberal uh began to kind of take on a life of its own where human beings, especially across the across the West, began to uh, believe that within the liberal tradition meant that man could liberate himself again, once again, mm-hmm. from the trials and tribulations of life. And it was through the scientific revolution, the enlightenment and the scientific revolution and everything else that as we began to make more and more discoveries, eventually man would get to the point where, again, he uh, would become uh, his own God. Right. No, you know? it's it's a lot, man. It's And I think that you're spot on. Um, and, and this is all you know, it just, it says, it really speaks to the many layers that we have to break through in terms of trying to understand, you know, the minds of, you know, the mindsets of these people and the lack of understanding that they have to, you know, they see everything on a very surface level and they don't, you know, they don't have the wherewithal to dig deeper and do any, you know, data mining to figure out you know, what choices they actually should be making and the ones that are, you know, really going to benefit them uh, the most. And mm-hmm. because of uh, something you said, I think it's it's going, it's a perfect segue into the next question that I have for you. Uh, and then I think we'll, I think this will, this will be a good way to, for us to, to close out this response here. Back in the day uh, when he was, you know, up and coming before mm-hmm. he blew up, Dave Chappelle used to be on Def Comedy Jam all the time, okay? And <clears throat> he did a bit back in the day on Def Comedy Jam where, you know, this comedy bit he did, a joke about uh, how the word nigga came to be formed. Mm-hmm. And and in this bit, I don't know if you ever heard it before or not. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. It was hilarious, but he 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 framed it in a way that when slaves came over that white people called a meeting to say, we need to figure out a name to call these black people that we found in Africa. And 
he went down the line of all these names that they tried for black people. And they wanted to see, like, how does it fit? How does it fit? No, that doesn't fit. Let's try this name. He took suggestions from the room. And he said, finally, somebody said, why don't we call them niggers? And he said, in the joke, he said, when they said that, he said, the whole room went up. Like, everybody just thought this was a great name. And it was hilarious. The, the right. way he framed it, because, I mean, Davis, Davis, he's a genius. Even back then, he was ahead of his time, you know, comedically. And he ended the bit with a rhetorical question, but it was a very potent and powerful question. And I remember listening to this years ago mm -hmm. and I don't, I've never heard anybody make an attempt to re-answer this rhetorical question, but it was very thought provoking. He ended the bit by saying, who decided black people would be mad? He said, who decided the word nigga would make black people mad for the rest of history? <laughs> And that was the end of the joke. And the crowd, they they laughed, you know, they died laughing. But when he got to that last question, like the whole room kind of went silent because everybody kind of had to take a second and think like, who did decide that? <laughs> you know, so so right. it, it made me think like I, every time I see a, if I see, if I happen to come across a video on on Instagram where there's an interaction between a white guy and a black guy and a white dude calls a black guy uh, a nigger and they start, they automatically, that means we automatically got to fight. And every time I see something like that, that question pops into my head. And when, when you hear that, when you, if you were in the audience, like if you could hear Dave, now he wouldn't, I don't think he would get up and say this was, this was like 15, maybe 20 years ago that he did this bit. I don't think he would get up there and say it now, but it's out there um, mm -hmm. that that he said it. How, when you hear that question, what do you think? Man. You know, that's deep because, I mean, he asked a great, a, a great question. I think, uh, you know, it, it reminds me bad of something that, uh, you know, I, I was on, on cutting to the culture a few weeks ago. You might have saw this show, you know, and I was I was talking about, you know, Spike Lee and, uh, you know, film that really put him on the map, which was do the right thing. Right. You know, and I talked about, uh, you know, and I called uh, Spike Lee a, a, an ideological hack on this show. But I want to take that back because he, he's not an ideological hack. He's a political hack. Uh -huh. There's a difference. You know, if he, was an, if he was an ideological hack, I may have a little bit more respect for him because, you know, one may say the same thing about me. But he's a political hack, which is far worse. Right. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to Dave Chappelle or even someone like a Spike Lee, you know, it, it's obvious where they are. Uh, politically, this is why, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those people who, you know, uh, run off and, you know, no disrespect of you if you're in this category. No, 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 go ahead. Not one of these people that run off, like, you know, some of you now and again, you know, Bill Maher, uh, will say something poignant or something that is, uh, you know, I guess common sense or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, folks will take it and run with it and say, you know, well, look at, well, Bill Maher said this or uh, Dave Chappelle said that. And so this is how you know that we are over the target because we have celebrities or people, you know, and celebrities have always been, you know, uh, 
I don't necessarily want to say always, it's always mm-hmm. a long time, but for a very long time, you know, entertainers have been traditionally left wing because I think it is sort of a, a part and parcel of their uh, inherent talents yeah. as far as their creative intellect that by nature sort of makes them deconstructionists. Right. And, uh, you know, someone like a George Carlin was very good at this. George Carlin, if you look, you know, people talk about, you know, man, George Carlin was such a genius. He was brilliant. He was funny. He was this and he was that. But the problem with Dave Chappelle and other entertainers is they 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 question things to the point of nihilism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, th- therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem with the whole neo-communist uh, movement. When I say, and I'm going to get back to your issue with the whole N-word in particular in a second. I haven't lost. I haven't yeah. Um, you know, this is the whole problem with the neo-communist project. And when I say the neo-communist project, I'm talking about the uh, communist movement after the uh, death of Joseph Stalin in 1953 and the uh, publication in the New York Times in 19, I think it was 57, that became known as the Khrushchev Report. Uh, and, you know, Nikita Khrushchev was not Joseph Stalin's immediate successor, but he was the most well-known. It was a one that was a brief moment in time. I forgot who was leading the Soviet Union, but it didn't last long. And Nikita Khrushchev uh, successfully uh, orchestrated uh, their 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 ouster. To, to make a long story short, and uh, there was a speech I think that he gave before the uh, Politburo where he just he just dragged Joseph Stalin, man. And just talked about all of the horrible things that he did. And, uh, you know, you had folks at the time and the world over, but, you know, in America, especially who, you know, again, people talk about globalism and the new world order and this and the third. Uh, There have been many men who have tried to unite the world under one sort of governmental authority or one cultural umbrella this whole issue of globalism is is nothing new uh, as long as there have been uh long as man has existed you know he has tried to right there you know there will be uh, uh, ambitious men who will try to conquer as much as they possibly can well going back to the stalinist period of the soviet union um of course the with the communist movement being international when you take a certain branch of Marxism that became known as Leninism, because Lenin believed that in order for communism to be successful, there must be a, and this is the word they use, there must be a vanguard. Mm-hmm. So the Communist Party in Russia became the revolutionary vanguard and Russia itself became the stronghold of the international proletariat because in order for communism to be all what it was cracked up to be, it had to be led by someone or something or some entity. And of course, that entity was the Kremlin, mm-hmm. right? And so the movement the world over was embodied in that one man, which was Joseph Stalin, which of course, you know, he uh, he ran the, the whole of, of Soviet Russia and by extension, all of their satellites and puppets and whatnot all over the world. Well, when, when the communists in America did not see their betrayal of their own country 
that is America as being a betrayal, what they see their betrayal as an attempt at trying to uh, uh, sort of force the United States to be all that it that it is cracked up to be by allowing the the uh, uh, its its true potential potential to to blossom and to flower and 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 in their minds they had that example in the Soviet Union this is how they knew it was real mm-hmm. so this is why they they see themselves as a fulfillment of the revolution right because it, it isn't so much that they are betraying their country as it is that they're being loyal to humanity as a whole, because once again, it is the institutions that are preventing man from fulfilling his true, uh, uh, you know, his, his 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 true nature, which is you know to allow him to fully to 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 fully fulfill. Uh, you know his 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 dreams, his ambitions, and and so on and so forth. It is the institutions that are in fact, uh, you know, keeping uh, keeping him down. Uh, so, you know, again, and and that's the whole difference right there uh, mm-hmm. between their revolution and the revolution of our framers, because the revolution of the communists and the neo communists is a betrayal of 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 man, quite frankly. While the revolution, the American Revolution, is a fulfillment, not a betrayal. It was yeah. a fulfillment, not a betrayal. And mm-hmm. I, and and I know we kind of getting into semantics because you can argue or you can try and argue that is is merely a means of perspective and nothing objective. I would argue against that, of course, and I don't really have the time to say why it's not subjective, why it is in fact objective, and the communist revolution is an objective betrayal of our of of our of our principles and not a fulfillment. But anyway, so when it comes to the neo communist movement. And this is when it became disparate because they said, well, once they realized what the Soviet Union was doing, what Joseph Stalin himself was really doing, because you had uh, and and how we found out about the words of Nikita Khrushchev was because of Israeli intelligence. And they Mm -hmm. funneled the information out to the public. Uh, And of course, you know, it got into the hands of American journalists and they published a story in The New York Times in 1957. And this is when he called this is what they call, of course, the new left, what I call the neo-communist movement, where it simply became a matter of what it is that they were against and not so much about what they were for, because these people have no plan for the future. Yeah. They only know how to destroy. Because once again, it is in that denouncement, it is in that destruction that man will will announce. Uh, this sort of new future uh, that we haven't seen yet. We just know that it is there, quite frankly, because what the left is attempting to do is they're attempting to create a world that is based upon their theories and not based upon anything that is concrete because they have no historical references to back up these lofty goals, none whatsoever. And so I say all that to say, when I when I think about Dave Chappelle, when I think about the entire entertainment community as a whole, they want to see themselves as being outside the bounds of the norm, because 
laden within their creativity are the promises and the dreams of a better tomorrow, the dreams of a better future. Yeah. So this is why you get certain guys like Dave Chappelle, like George Carlin, like other entertainers, because one thing about liberals and the left, quite frankly, they're right. They're right about some things. They get, again, certain critiques and certain things that they point out. They're right, but they take that truth and they pervert that truth because even though they are able to identify certain things that may be true, it is their starting point mm-hmm. that 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 corrupts, I guess, the uh, inherent value of whatever it is that that thing uh, may uh, educate and teach and, and inform them on because they're starting off from a point that is fundamentally flawed. So when we when we talk about Dave Chappelle and he said, man, who in the world, mm-hmm. you know, said that why we basically why we got to be you know mad about this? No, he is absolutely right in that it, as 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 black folks you 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 cannot allow someone else's mis you know misdeeds to become your burden yeah you have to be better mhm must be better because you are called to be better and to do better not based solely on the fact that you're black quote unquote uh, but because you will be held to account, held, you, you will be held to account, held to account for the things that you did with your life when your number is called, just right. like everyone else. Yes. This is why the whole issue of reparations goes back to what Walter E. Williams once said when he so eloquently yet simplistically explained what it means to be a slave. When Walter E. Williams once famously said that slavery is simply working for the benefit of another. Mm -hmm. If you cannot say that you want to enslave your fellow man today, i.e. to get them to work for your benefit, because that's the only thing reparations amount to. You can try to to uh, uh, come up with this whole, all these highfalutin words and concepts and terms to try to explain why you support it and what and this and that. All that is just a massive wealth transfer. Yes. Right. And you could do it vis-a-vis. And, and again, you know, when, you know, people who have property, whatever, when they see the writing on the wall, they will find ways to evade and avoid the taxing jurisdiction of the governmental authority at hand and or in pl- at play to protect uh, what is in their own best interest. And what ends up happening is when the federal government cannot amass the tax revenue to meet the burden, right, uh, that they uh, have in terms of you know promises that they made uh to their uh to their voters mm-hmm. <laughs> that they do yeah. is that they of course uh for example you know they sell you know more bonds to the federal reserve and so on and so forth they have to sort of you know pump more fiat into uh the system and so uh what ends up happening eventually of course is that that causes an increase uh, and prices, mm-hmm. which enriches those who have tangible assets versus the people who will receive the reparations, who whose greater percentage of their overall assets are not made up of 
tangible things, but, you know, more so uh, just their own, you know, fiat currencies. Have yeah. you. And so the value of their currency goes down while the tangible assets of those that actually own the means of production, those that actually produce their wealth and their holdings increase. But Anyway, when you're working for the benefit of another, you're trying to enslave your fellow man to yourself. And you're doing so on the basis that your ancestors were enslaved. So you're going to turn around and enslave someone now through taxation. Sorry, doesn't work that way. Because if it was wrong for someone to enslave your ancestor, then it's wrong for you to enslave someone now. Because right. it takes great restraint and control to act in a way that would abound to the glory of God, i.e., you know, this kind of higher uh, a value a substrate, this 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 kind of aspiration that should have in order to be virtuous and to be righteous, uh, right? It takes great discipline and it takes restraint. And that is in fact this the the true, a true sense of freedom and civility is knowing where to draw the line, knowing where to have that limit. Freedom and service of self-mastery. That is the combination of the kind of humanist secular dream of societal perfection and the kind of sacred dream and the gift of free will that is given to one uh, by God. The problem is that, of course, uh, the liberal tradition, the whole communist attitude kind of neglects the whole free will aspect because, of course, they're simply offering you uh, uh, perfection without freedom. And uh, you can't have perfection without freedom because that's yeah. not a, uh, <clears throat> a, fulfilling, a fulfilling life. And so, yeah, so black folks, you know, again, just bear, get over it. Yeah. Get over it, bro. It's, it's just a word. Like I say, I don't care if white dudes say if I hear white. I mean, seriously, because when you take it upon yourself not to allow that sort of thing to get to you, then all of a sudden you have the power. Yes. Not even so much power over the individual that called you that name, but now you have power over yourself. Yep. Because you have made the conscious act not to allow that to get to you. And now, now you mm -hmm. have earned another notch in your belt in the quest towards self-mastery yes that's yes. what it's all about that's what it's yeah that's beautiful man um and that's a great way that's a great way to to, to close it off um I, I want the listeners to know that i learned from these conversations with chuck um just as much and that's why i, I enjoy you know listening to him cook when he starts get, getting going and, you know, whether he and I are having a conversation like this or I'm listening to him on his YouTube channel, I'm listening to him on his Instagram page going live, um, you know, whether I'm listening to the commentary that he adds to the Cutting Through the Culture series, you always glean something from somebody uh, that you can you can hear. He's extremely well read. He knows what he's talking about and he can fit it into any environment uh to to fit uh fit the environment around him and that is the mark of a great teacher and so uh i appreciate you man seriously it's you know these conversations you know i'm grateful for these connections that we can make and i'm grateful that the listeners get to hear 
the mind of of somebody who's you know extremely impactful and somebody who's you know so thoughtful so mm -hmm. you know this is a great way to end the show this is a great way to close out uh 2023 uh for this podcast and uh hey man listen i hope that we can do this again in in 2024 oh, absolutely bro yeah. whenever whenever you want your dial man just you know let me know bro you know i'm always be that's a beckoning call. Just let yeah. me know. We schedule a date, you know, and if you got some questions, something you want to bounce off each other or questions you want to ask me is, you know, get it on the record, man. You you already know, man. I ain't nothing but a, a, a direct message away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 I appreciate it. And, and so to everybody that's listening, uh, I wish you all a, a, a Merry Christmas. A happy new year. Uh, thank you for rocking with the show uh, all year. Uh, Chuck, I pray that you and your family are blessed in this holiday season. I'm, I'm praying God's best for you uh, in 2024, my man. And um, we just going to keep going, man. We're going to keep rising to the top. And uh, everybody, listen, I'm going to make sure that all of uh, Chuck's uh, social media handles are going to be in the show description. Uh, I'll make sure that uh, the YouTube channel link is in the description as well. Uh, support this brother. You heard, you know, you've heard before. It's a reason, you know, uh, why this was one of the most popular shows uh, for uh, for the podcast. So uh, definitely learn what you can from this brother while while the while the uh, material is out there. Uh, so so blessings to you uh, and your family, man. And uh, to the rest of the Young Common Sense family, bless you all. And uh, just remember that no matter where you go and no matter what you do, just remember that common sense is uncommon. And I'll see you guys next year.